Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca. I'm excited to welcome you back to the Adapter's Advantage podcast. Today, my guest is Pat D'Amico. Pat's the founder and CEO of About Face Development and a senior performance consultant with Matrix Achievement Group. He's a speaker, an author, a facilitator, accomplished business professional, and a combat veteran. Pat has over 30 years of leadership experience, 27 of those years in the medical device and pharmaceutical industry, and he's had a focus in the area of learning and development for much of his career working in Fortune 500 companies, including Johnson & Johnson and Medtronic, as well as startups. Pat's led organizations in sales, commercial operations, national accounts, learning and development, and recruiting, many times encompassing global responsibility. As a sales leader, he's a four-time President's Club winner. Pat's passion for study of the study of leadership and human performance, driving organizational success, and teaching have led to his career focus in learning and development. He holds a master's, an MS in education, and a BA in world politics. So welcome, Pat D'Amico. Good to see you, Mark. How are you? Very well, thanks. I'm excited for our conversation. And Pat, let's jump right into it. There's so many different things you've done. Um, what, how do you now answer the question, so Pat, what do you do? Well, that's, that's a great question to start us off. That's the elevator speech, right? Um, you know, I, as you mentioned in the introduction, I, I've spent close to the last 30 years in, in commercial functions in the life sciences arena. And my experience and passion has really led me to focus in the area of learning and development, or really more specifically, working with organizations to identify and address developmental areas that are really hindering their organization's commercial success. So that can encompass everything from baseline selling skills to executive level or C-suite selling, uh, advanced negotiation skills. And you know, I should mention, you know, I also have a heavy focus on leadership and management skills development as well as coaching. Well, you know, Pat, we're going to come back to that piece because it's so easy to talk about the sales process and really at the tactical sales level, but so few people spend time really focused on that sales management and sales leadership part, which I know you spent a lot of time on. And so ultimately, it, it's a critical driver, right? To be yeah. able to make anything change. So let me set the stage for our listeners here. Uh, you're somewhat unique in the, the L&D realm in that you've been a salesperson, you've led salespeople, and you have a master's degree in education. So my question is, what's the biggest insight that you've had related to how to apply what you've learned in the academic setting into the real world? Wow, okay, so narrowing, narrowing that down is pretty tough. You know, I, 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 I'm fortunate that I think for me, I went back for my master's degree fairly recently. Uh, and I feel fortunate not only because I had already run large learning and development organizations, but also because there's been, frankly, so much change in the learning field in the last probably 10 to 15 years. So probably the number one thing is how learner wants and needs have changed and ways in which frankly, the emerging technology can be leveraged to meet those needs. That's really what I've seen as, as probably the biggest benefit 
from getting my master's degree and, and again, getting it, getting it later in my career fairly recently. And Pat, just as a follow-up to that, what's the takeaway that you've had in terms of how the learner wants to learn now? Well, I, I think you can suffice it to say the easiest example is, is, is relating it to YouTube, right? I mean, the fact remains that 20 years, well, 30 years ago, if you needed to learn how to do something, you had to buy a magazine. You know, 20, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, you saw the advent of YouTube. And if you ask folks, when I teach class today, I, I, I really ask them that question. I say, you know, when you need to figure out how to do something, what do you do? And they're like, I, I go to YouTube and I look for the shortest video that's going to show me how it's done. And I think that alone has really suggest the paradigm shift in how people want to learn. They want it in video so they can really see it, feel it, uh, can be engaged with it, and they want it in short spurts. Well, that's been very consistent with our experience as well. And that's not just across the med device and pharma space. It's really across all of the verticals that we, we work in. And um, I'm curious, what's changed in terms of how your clients need to access information? So we know YouTube's one of these ways, but you know, when you think about this mobile, social, and digital world that we're in, what's changed even, I'm gonna say, since the start of COVID from your perspective for benefit of the clients that you're working with? Well, th that's a great question. You know, the, the advances in technology have really shifted the paradigm of learning in, in a number of areas. You know, mobile technology, specifically related to video micro learnings, is, is, has very quickly uh, begun to provide so many more options for engaging distance learning versus what began, let's say, as e-learning. Now, you know, e-learning still has value, but we've done so much more and have so many more options today to meet learner wants and needs. We've moved from simple distance learning to really socialized learning and the ability, I think, more than anything to share best practices in an instant. Uh, you know, especially in the realm I work with in commercial and sales, folks want to see how the best people and most successful people are doing things. They want to hear it from them. And there's a big difference between reading that in an email and actually hearing them speak it, the inflection, the passion. Uh, and so that technology and that advancement and, you know, and the ability to do that has really been incredibly impactful. You know, Pat, when you say that, it makes me think about the paradigm shift that so many L&D professionals and people in the training world at large have had to come to terms with. And one of the biggest pieces that you just described is recognizing that the role of L&D in training is evolving much like a director in a movie rather than an actor. And so being able to help pull the right cast together and help direct them, whether these are top performers or subject matter experts, that's a very different thing than you as the trainer thinking that you have either the skill set, the credibility, and the like to try to teach salespeople what they need to know. It's a, it's a big shift. And what I found is for a lot of people, they realized it's a big relief of pressure that instead of thinking you have to be the expert on all these topics, your job is to find the expert, create the short video, and let the expert do their job while you're just curating those people. Yeah, that's a great point, Mark. The, the reality is you, you hit on a couple things there, the, the, the skill and the credibility. And, and, you know, skill and credibility are so key to when you're trying to get folks, you know, to change, when you're trying to impress on them, you know, what best practices are. And, and you're right, from an L&D perspective, individuals that, that in the past might have been tasked with things that are challenging, which is, you know, can you, do you have the credibility to really be able to put forward what folks 
can and should be doing versus leveraging the experts within an organization or leveraging the experts in the industry, there's, there's, there's a huge difference in being able to put that forward. And it does take a lot of the pressure off. You know, the challenges that a lot of L&D organizations face is they just don't have the resources to create that content on their own. Before we even talk about, do they have the skill and do they have the credibility? You know, their ability to use technology today to leverage those folks uh, is, is a huge benefit. And let's be honest, then, you know, then you're seeing different folks, you're seeing different people, you're internally promoting them. So there's a lot of downstream uh, positive impact to that. Yeah, we're, we're of the mindset that to the extent that we can help with that shift, that it's, it's a positive for everybody involved because you're getting more voices into the conversation, you're getting more perspectives into the conversation, and you're allowing the L&D professionals to really curate content rather than just be in the content creation business. Absolutely, and and seldom in the organizations even that I've you know been fortunate enough to run, you you just don't have the resources and the time to develop that content. So Pat, let me pivot to you know 27 years in the largely in this L and D space. Uh, what difficulties did you have to overcome when you started your career in this this part of the business? Well, I, you know, I I think that the one of the biggest challenges that comes to mind is that organizations see things like product knowledge and and with many of my clients and my experience clinical knowledge as a must which is which is fantastic but soft skills like sales and negotiations are are just as critical uh, as well as leadership development and and too often they don't receive the attention that they need almost every major executive survey conducted in the past decade or more points to the absolute need for these skills, yet organizations really still struggle with prioritizing funding and resourcing them, even though they know they're critical. So you know, that's been one of the biggest challenges. It, it makes me think about in the military, the same dynamic is at hand where it's very easy to understand why every private needs certain basic skills if they're gonna go, for example, into the infantry, but recognizing that there's a need for West Point and there's a need for leadership training, and that that is as important as sort of the tactical skills or the equivalent of the clinical knowledge that you just described. That's the part that's so often missing. And so we're gonna, we're gonna get to your unique experience in that in just a moment. Uh, what, I, what I'd like to do though is move on in the spirit of uh, leadership lessons. And that is, given that most of us learn best from our own mistake, mistakes, What's one big mistake that's taught you a valuable lesson? Okay, um, is it okay if I share two? Because sure, I think they're ahead. both, yeah, they're both pertinent. So, you know, for me, the first one that comes to mind is, you know, back in 1990, I was preparing to deploy to the Middle East after the, uh, uh, the invasion of Kuwait. And on the morning of our departure, I was a 23-year-old platoon leader, and I found myself standing in front of the families of my soldiers. And and in that moment of high emotion, as I looked out at you know, the wives, the sons, the daughters, and the parents of these soldiers, and I sensed their concern, you know, I, I actually made a commitment to them that I would bring every one of them home safely. And frankly, Mark, it was a promise that I had no right to make. And, and it was one which I certainly had no right to guarantee. So for, for six months, I struggled every single day with having made that commitment. Uh, now, while I was fortunate that we did bring everybody home safely. It was really a, a tremendous learning uh, leadership lesson for me. Uh, so, so that's one. 
Uh, By the way, I didn't say on that one, Pat, that's, that is a great lesson, um, both about how, how powerful commitment is and being careful about what you can commit to in terms of being able to deliver. And I think we, everybody listening has had that tension, if you will, around what should I commit to that's kind of a stretch and, and where, where am I making a commitment for things I can't control, which is stupid for me to commit to. Yeah, no, and, 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 and that's a good example of, you know, emotion really driving uh, in the moment a decision to, to make a statement that, that really I shouldn't have, I, I should have stopped and thought. So, uh, so that's one. Uh, another example that's, that's pertinent uh, was that when I was running training for an organization in the early 2000s, I, I made a commitment to fix a major inventory issue that was costing the company at the time millions of dollars. And, and I undertook a project to apply handheld technology that frankly at the time was very new and unproven. Uh, the project cost the organization about a million dollars, and while the cost savings just outpaced the cost of the project, the, the reality was that the, the technology just wasn't ready, and it created such a significant application challenge in the field that it was eventually scrapped after about a year of use. So for me, I look back on that and think, you know, what a learning experience for me of, of adopting technology, frankly, that, that just wasn't ready. Well, you know, Pat, so, so I, I recognize the, the lesson in that. And, and again, I think everybody listening here has probably had some part of their life where they've been an innovator or an early adopter. And what you've just described exemplifies that. Um, the flip side of the coin, I can tell you from the Lego perspective, if it wasn't for people like you who were willing to try early technology, we wouldn't have a business. Right, yeah, because fair in, enough. In the software business in particular, you know, whether it was the people standing outside for the first iPad or the first iPhone, it's, it's those people who are willing to try something new that in effect prime the pump. Um, but I, I think we all have a story like what you've just described where maybe we were over the tips of our skis and just a little too soon. Right. And let's be honest, Mark. I mean, when, when you and I first met each other and engaged, you know, one of the things that, you know, because of that experience, I was very, you know, very upfront about was I wanted to make sure the technology would work. And so, you know, that, that was one of the lessons for me. I, I really did not think about those questions uh, at that time. And I think too often folks don't explore enough and find out. I mean, every shiny new toy may seem interesting, but you really need to make sure is, you know, is, is this going to work well? Is it going to meet the needs of the organization? Does it do everything that, uh, that it says it's going to do? And, and frankly, that's been a lot of the, you know, the, the, the reason behind my long-term relationship with the Lego is that, and my belief in the product is that it's always worked as, as frankly, as, as you guys have said it would. So let's pivot from that to um, um, a moment in your career where you've had some kind of aha or epiphany or insight that in retrospect gave you a, a new perspective? Um, you know, I, I think it's one that's reoccurring uh, when I think about that. I, I think my greatest aha moments in my career are, are very much related to the realization that in order to achieve success, you, you have to create a compelling reason for folks to buy into the why that you're asking them to do something. If you don't or you can't paint uh, a vision of a better future for them, you're going to face resistance and, and that you won't be able to overcome. So I'm, I'm a big believer in, in the why and, and, and just as important, what's the vision of the future look like that's better than it is today? So, You know, Pat, that is one of those simple insights that really go back to you having asked all of those questions, that, which is why the Simon Sinek presentation has been you know, mm -hmm. so popular 
right? Because I think it struck a chord. And when people heard it, they realized, yeah, it's absolutely true that to the extent that I or someone else can communicate the, the what's in it for you, the why, right. and, and help that be part of a broader vision, until that happens, um, the, the natural inertia of human beings, it's tough to get any large group of people to change anything unless they're really committed to the promised land. Yeah, and, and I learned that, I think, very early in, in, in the military. You know, I mean, I, I was you know, in the military at, 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 I think, a largely transition time where we were, you know, the military was moving from a, you know, just, just do this because I'm telling you to do it and helping people really understand and buy into, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Because, it, because at the end of the day, if those folks don't understand that, you know, the, the, when you're not there watching, you need them to really be bought into the vision so that they're driving that forward. And that they refer to that sometimes as the commander's intent as well, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think no, having that notion of commander's intent in the business realm uh, is equally valid to, to make sure that people really do understand, even when no one's watching me, why is it that we're doing this? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So let's move to the, the whole COVID-19 time that we are experiencing right now. What would you say is the biggest challenge that sales management teams, the teams that you're working with now, um, have had to adapt to since the start of COVID-19? You know, obviously this is on everyone's mind right now. And I, I, think, the, I think the COVID-19 situation you know, certainly caught people off guard, but, but it absolutely created an opportunity for organizations to consider options of how to better reach and train their teams. And, and the, the reality is, is that the newer technologies provide incredible solutions that were not available even just a decade ago. I mean, if this, if we were in the situation 10 years ago, we'd be in a much different, a much different place as to the options. So the challenge, of course, is always going to be change and helping leaders understand, appreciate, and really accept that, you know, that change is challenging, but the fact that they found themselves in a situation that needed a solution has helped move that along. I mean, they, there was a compelling reason. It wasn't a, hey, here are some options of things you can look at. It's, hey, we've got to figure out a way to react to this and, and it forced them to look at newer and, and often better ways to do what they were already doing. So I think there are so many different parts of the economy, whether it's looking, you know, shopping for a car, that, that the belief system was always that you have to have this in-person experience and more and more people are realizing it doesn't mean you never need it. It just means there's a lot of places that it was a presumption that it had to be that way that we're now realizing maybe it doesn't. And I, and I think that's an important distinction, Mark, this notion that, you know, not a suggestion that everything shouldn't be done face to face. But to your point, we're, we're realizing that there are a lot of interactions that don't need to be face to face that, that can be done quicker and more efficiently for everyone by doing them remotely. And again, if this were 20 years ago, we'd be struggling with this because we didn't have the technology available that was that was reliable to be able to do that. And, and today we do. Well, you know, Pat, I'll just give you a, a quick example of that. In Massachusetts, the Massachusetts court system, which services about 40,000 people a day, moved to a completely virtual court experience. The judge, everything. And, you know, it's not that this technology didn't exist. They used to bring, uh, they would have a person in jail and they wouldn't bring him to court. They'd put him on video and they, they'd talk right. to him, right? So it existed. And they just, I read an article that said that, um, that they've done more in 90 days than they had done in 10 years because they had to. And you, know, you think about something as simple as 
getting a mortgage that still requires a wet signature in so mm -hmm. many states when you can do virtually everything else. You can wire money, right, from point A to point B on, a, on an e-signature, but a mortgage requires a wet signature. So I think that the premise is, what if we just test the hypothesis as we go along and sort of figure out, do I really need to be in person on this one? Or is this one of those ones we can replace? Well, and you know what's interesting about that is, is I liken it to the advent of video education. And you and I probably have talked about this because, you know, I'm kind of a, a you know, I'm, I'm interested in history. And, and a lot of people don't know that that video education really started with the U.S. Army around World War II. Yes. And what happened then was, you know, they were unable to translate that into a broader education system, which they attempted to do in the U.S. because of the cost of the equipment, the training. The, you know, it wasn't reliable. And, and I think what happens is people get in that, they get in that rut of, you know, as technology advances, they're not noticing that, hey, wait a minute, what, what didn't work because we were constrained by the technology 10 years ago can work today. And so I think COVID really sort of brought that to the forefront of, you know, I think there are a lot of people who are like, well, I, I didn't know we could do that. Well, no, actually, we, we can, and, and we've been able to do it for probably four or five years. You just haven't been paying attention because your exposure 15, 20 years ago was, well, that won't work. So just to build on this piece, Pat, how do you think the pandemic is going to change how the life sciences business operates? And in particular, in med device, things like salespeople uh, in the hospital and working with a a surgeon is that kind of stuff going to continue to happen in the operating room or or is that the era of that ended well i, I think as we've talked about you know it's it's definitely the situation has required organizations to look at at many different uh many things differently out of necessity and right. and specifically absolutely in the area of training and learning but also to your point in in the area of how we support folks you know i am absolutely seeing more uh you know more folks utilizing technology in the operating room to dial in when they need support. You know, hey, I don't need you physically there, but if I have a question, can you block out and be available during that time? So certain procedures are gonna lend themselves to, you know, to that. Now, newer procedures where you've gotta have somebody there from beginning to end, you know, that's gonna be what it is with somebody there. But, but even those over time, as folks become comfortable, I think organizations are looking more at how do we ensure that the expert resources are available to support our customers when they need us, but that's not necessarily every single procedure every single time. Got it. So it's, it's really the same dynamic that we're talking about. There will be, they're already adapting where, for example, a Zoom call from the operating room might be able to get you 80% of the information that you need in a certain right. case. And if it's a new one, maybe you do need to have the salesperson there. But once a body of knowledge has been developed, then you don't need to have a salesperson there every single time. And as such, the salesperson doesn't need to be for example, comped on how much time they spend in the operating room. Totally, totally. And another great example, Mark, sort of a little outside is when you think about, you know, preparing for case review. In the, you know, in, in, in not that long ago, you know, when a physician needed to review a case and needed to plan for a case, the rep would have to go in and physically review the film with the physician. They would look at the film, they would work, you know, they would discuss a plan, the, the case would be sized so that the rep ensured when they were there, they had the right, you know, size equipment. And now the majority of that at this point is being done remotely where the physician will get in touch with the rep and say, look, you know, I'm sending you over, 
uh, the film for this case you know, in two or three days, give it a look, here's my case plan, ensure that you have all the equipment you need, and if there's anything I'm missing or haven't thought about, let me know. And, and the efficiency that that creates has been, has been significant. I mean, the difference between a rep, I mean, if you're thinking about a rep who maybe covers New York City or a metro area, you know, having to go to an account just to review a film and now not having to do that, uh, you know, th that creates an incredible efficiency. It really does. And I mean, that's the kind of thing, Pat, that after you've, after you've done it that way, it's really hard to go back and say, we're going to do right. an in-person review. Why would you go back? Right. Why, why would you ever do that? Because, because it's like the difference, you know, it, it's like synchronous versus asynchronous. You know, the ability to review those films now, what used to be in-person and synchronous is now asynchronous. So there's a, there's a tremendous value to that. And we forget, you know, the value of certain technologies that we take for granted. I mean, remember the transition when, you know, when, when the first answering machines came out. I mean, the notion of I don't have to reach that person live and chase them down. Like we forget yeah. how big an advantage that became. Pat, I'd like to ask you about, in addition to the roles that you've had as a sales leader, you know, you've run commercial uh, and, and learning development organizations. You've also headed up sales recruiting for Johnson & Johnson. Based on the work that you're doing with clients now, what have you seen that's changed in terms of how life sciences salespeople are being recruited and hired in this, in this arena? So, you know, Mark, I, I'm glad you, that's a really interesting question because it actually has a direct tie back to learning and development. I, I think folks might expect me to, to, to sort of center on, you know, doing remote interviews. And, and certainly we know that that's an option, but, but there's, a, there's a deeper thing here related to what we do. Back when I was responsible for getting that department up and running, life sciences, frankly, had the luxury of having a lot of the top sales talent looking to get into the space. Uh, we had the pick of the litter, for lack of a better term. Sure. And back then, if a candidate had asked the question during an interview of what development are you going to be providing me in this role, it, it likely would have offended the interviewer. It, it's, <laughs> you know, it's the truth. Yeah. You know, folks were clamoring just for a potential opportunity back then. Uh, today, that is a standard question that comes from candidates. Uh, you know, and it aligns to the recent data that suggests that people will leave a role and or an organization due to a lack of development. Now, to retain top talent, organizations really have to invest in the development of their people. And, and that development requirement falls mostly on learning and development and possibly HR. But as we see more and more HR functions being contracted out, that really leaves learning and development with that responsibility. Folks want to be developed. And I always caution you know, people when I have this conversation, because very often the response is, well, they, they just want to get promoted too quickly. And I will say, hey, that, that's a discussion worth having. There might be some reality to that, but that's a separate discussion. Wanting to be promoted is separate from the notion that while I'm in this role, are you continuing to develop me? And there's an absolute need for that today. And if, if organizations aren't willing and ready to, to, to meet that need, they're going to lose their best talent. You know, one of the things Jamie Dimon talked about was uh, at J.P. Morgan Chase, not just the commitment to making an investment in learning and development the way you've described it, but the, the notion of you're going to put in the time anyway. So if you're going to do learning and development, let's make sure that it's actually meaningful for the people who are going to be investing this time. And, and the premise of a candidate coming in and in effect raising their hand and saying, look, I want to know what am I going to do to be improving? That's not just so I can get an a promotion. 
It's because, as, as Yu Chun mentioned yesterday in that presentation, um, su success at work is fundamental to human happiness. It right? is, absolutely. And, and, and most people want to succeed at their job. And one of the ways they can do that is to learn to be better at it. Yeah, and and you know, I, I think that that all that all ties into this notion of you know needing to provide continuous development. And and the reality again is that that was something that was more challenging years ago when when everything was in person and everything was live, and you had to really contend with you know can I afford to bring people in, both the cost of bringing them in as well as the cost of them being there. And now with technology, you know, you can provide continuous development for folks that 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 is at a much lower cost than you ever could. And, and it, it keeps them up to date and you can do it over time. You know, one of the challenges that I always had with leadership development programs that I would run was, you know, I might get eight days a year with, with a cohort. And so every quarter I'd bring them in for two days. And my challenge was, you know, I'm trying to deliver so much skill development around what it means to be a leader and a manager. And the reality is, Mark, I, I, I seldom got to any skill development. It was, it was primarily, you know, knowledge transfer sure. in these areas. Now with technology and when I teach leadership development, it's, it's really a completely different thing. I can say, look, we, you know, we have a remote system that we can, we can deliver all the content and all the critical leadership competencies. And we can reserve those live days for focusing on those that need practice or focus on those that are most critical to that business or that organization. So it's really opened up a way to really get much deeper uh, and, and still at the same time, also take advantage of continuous development. Hey, we're not bringing you in for two days and it's over. This goes on a year, this goes on two years. And, and that's what people want and need because you know, it's not a finish line, right? You're always continuing to develop. Well, Pat, I think about back in your military time, uh, the, the idea of taking uh, a, a new recruit and saying, we're gonna teach you how to load and shoot an M16. And we're gonna do it in a one eight hour session. Right. Like, it's just not the way human beings learn. There's too many things going on in your mind. You need to learn that over time if you want to be able to assemble, disassemble, learn how to shoot, practice your marksmanship. Like, that's, it's a process. It's not a, a one and done. And uh, so much of our learning has been oriented around fly them in, fill up their head as if you're pouring a pitcher of water and yeah. um, send them home. Yeah, the fire hose approach is, you know, and, and, and again, it's it was somewhat a, you know, it was somewhat a, a function of of what was available at the time, but 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 we're not there anymore. You know, we have so many more options and and you know, we need to be taking advantage of them and leveraging. So one last question for you, Pat. Uh, how should commercial learning and development leaders be responding to this change you just described? When you think about your peers who may be listening. Well, Leaders always have to be evaluating ways in which they can do things differently to be more competitive. And, and learning development leaders need to be open to ways that they can tackle today's challenges, but but utilizing new options. And, and that doesn't mean to suggest that you know the ways we've done things in the past were wrong or don't work anymore. It's really how do you leverage the good history against the new delivery methods and options. And, and I believe really strongly that Organizations, you know, have the ability to address areas that they've been neglecting in the past by leveraging new technology and new methods. They just, they just have to be open to it and understand that they're out there. Well, Pat, there's so much more that uh, we could cover, but I think we've, we've hit a lot of the key points that are relevant right now for the time that we're living in and for the audience will be hearing this. 
Uh, if people want to learn more about you and the work that you do, what's the best way for them to reach you? Oh, thanks. Thanks for asking, Mark. You know, I'm fortunate I've had the opportunity to work with, with so many great organizations, both through my own firm, About Face Development, as well as my, my partnership with Matrix Achievement Group. Uh, the easiest way for individuals to get a hold of me is, is directly via email at uh, pat at aboutfacedev.com uh, or through my website at aboutfacedevelopment.com. Fantastic. Well, Pat, listen, it's been a real pleasure uh, having this conversation with you. And uh, I look forward to continuing the conversation as the world continues to evolve. Mark, always a pleasure to spend time with you, man. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.